0: This morning we come to the book of Romans, chapter number 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. I want to encourage you today. I really do. But I think we have to look at the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in in the United States of America in the year 2021. And I would say this, that Uh, Though we are in a desperate situation in our nation, I would also say that we have much hope, and I was reminded of that this week at camp as God worked in the hearts of our young people as they testified and spoke of how that God had spoken to them, and uh, unashamedly so and uh, a sense of unity among them. I was so encouraged, and I hope that you're encouraged. And I want you to know that though our nation uh, seems to be in great trouble, I want you to know that there is great hope. And the hope of our nation is found in the message of the gospel. The hope of our nation is found in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hope of our nation uh, is found when we, as the song has reminded us, of fall on our knees and pray and cry out to God and seek his blessing and repent of the sin in our hearts. We come to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. The Apostle Paul, who is writing here, we noted in our study of Corinthians on Sunday evenings that Paul was writing this letter from Corinth, and so he had the backdrop of the city of Corinth uh, that no doubt was uh, served as an illustration to him as he made the points that he's going to make here in Romans chapter 1. We begin reading in verse number 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for the opportunity that we have uh, to assemble together this morning. And I pray that as we have come to hear uh, from you, to hear your word proclaimed, as we have come this morning to worship you in song and in our prayer and through the preaching of your word, I pray that you would help us to receive the truth of your word I pray that you would remove from our hearts and minds the things that distract, and I pray that you would give us understanding. And then, Father, I pray that you would help us to surrender our hearts to you as you, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of the world, speak to us. May we open our hearts and surrender our will to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. What happens to an individual or to a nation, a civilization which rejects the truth of God? What defense will they have when they stand before that God? Well, Paul answers those questions in Uh, many others for us in this text, and we see what condition the world is in. Uh, We read of it here in verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The Bible tells us here in verse number 18 that the wrath of God is revealed. In verse number 16, or uh, verse 17 rather, uh, we hear of the righteousness of God, which is revealed. And then verse number 18, the apostle Paul speaks of the wrath of God. Now, when we think of God, we no doubt understand that his nature is that he is a loving God. For God is love, the Bible tells us that. For God so loved the world and all who are in it. That's what that means. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that means anyone, in any land, in any place today, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstances of their lives, no matter the sins they may have committed, for whosoever, shall call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10, for whosoever believeth in him, John three sixteen, should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son to send men to hell. God sent his son to save men from hell. He is a loving God, but he is also a God of wrath and a God of judgment? and Who does his wrath fall upon? Well, that's the question for us to consider as we look at this text together, and, and we consider this thought this morning, one nation under the wrath of God. One nation under the wrath of God. Now, we note here, first of all, in verse number 16, we see uh, something I'd like to point out to you, and... Uh, I'll give you four thoughts this morning. Here's the first one, the righteousness of God. God is righteous. God is holy. God is sinless. Notice, if you would, please, again in verse number 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? The word gospel means good news. So into a despairing, depressing, dark world, God has sent to us some good news. We certainly need it, don't we? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's the good news of Jesus. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone. Uh, Highlight those words in your Bible, if you would, please. To everyone regardless of your race, the color of your skin, regardless of your uh, social economic background, regardless of your political affiliation. It's to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, we understand something about God. God is holy, he is righteous, and men are sinners, separated from God. The Bible teaches us this, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and we are separated from God because of our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. So no sinner is able to approach a holy God. But let me tell you what a holy God did for sinful men. He sent his son who became a man without ceasing to be God, who lived a perfect, sinless life, and who died on the cross, making the atonement, paying the price of your sin and mine. And after he died, he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day, he arose again from the dead, and he offers eternal life to all who will receive him. That, my friend, is the message of the gospel, that God loves you, that he sent his son to save you, he made the payment for your sin, and if you will confess that you're a sinner and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Saved from your sin, saved from the shame, saved from the guilt, saved from the penalty, and delivered into the kingdom of God, to live eternally with him in a place called heaven. This is the message of the gospel, and it reveals to us the righteousness of God. Now, we note here the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that it makes sinners righteous. The apostle Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The message of the gospel is powerful in that it makes sinners righteous and brings them into fellowship with the holy God. Thus sinners are delivered from death and hell and into his kingdom. But then we see the plan of the gospel here. And I want you to know the plan of the gospel makes it effective for and available to all people. Notice what the Bible says here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, we we understand that the apostle Paul was a Jew, and uh, as a Jew, he was a law-keeping worshiper of Jehovah God. And then he's writing not only to the Jews, he's writing to the Greeks. That means the Gentile world, any of us who are outside of the nation of the Jews. What he is saying is that God is not a national Savior. He is an international Savior. He's not just simply interested in saving one people. God is interested in saving all people. No matter who you are, God loves you, and he loves everyone who is living upon this earth and who has ever lived upon this earth. God wants all men to be saved. The Bible said that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come repentance i don't see how you can become more inclusive than that god loves all people and sent his son to make the payment for the sin of all people and he offers salvation to all people what a glorious god that we have that is the plan of the gospel verse 17 for therein is the righteousness of god revealed from faith to faith as it is written The just shall live by faith. How are sinners made righteous? They are made righteous when they confess their sin and they trust in Christ and the righteousness of God is transferred to them. You see, I'm a sinner. I've done a lot of things I'm ashamed of. I have committed sins against the holy God. But the Lord Jesus Christ never sinned. And though he never sinned, he took my sin upon him and made the payment for my sin. And as a believer, when God looks at me, he does not see me for who I have been. He sees me for who I am in Christ Jesus. His righteous record is now become my record. What a glorious God we have. This is the plan of the gospel. God has a plan. He wants all the people of the world to hear the truth proclaimed. He wants all the people of the world to see that truth lived out before them by the people of God. That is what makes the church so unique. Because the church is the family of God. We are the assembly of God's people. We are the people who have been brought into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, through the power of the gospel, our lives have been transformed. Now, we've watched our nation in the last year deal with crisis after crisis, a health crisis, a political crisis, a a racial crisis, hatred and enmity on every hand, violence and contempt and scorn, but those things should never characterize what happens in the confines or, uh, or in the, the realm of the family of God. You see, if the world is going to see Bible Christianity lived out, they're going to see it in the lives of believers. I'm so thankful that God has given us a church family that is diverse. I believe it should be more diverse because God loves all people. God has brought to our community people from every nation and every kindred and every tribe. And by the way, let me just say this to you. That's what we're going to find in heaven. Praise God. I'm so grateful that God has brought people to our church with different backgrounds and different ethnicities. And we are are no longer divided along those lines, or we shouldn't be if we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We should love all people. Jesus said, I give you a new law, that you love one another. He said, by this... Uh, Shall all men know that you're my disciples if ye love one another? As God's people, we are to love one another. We've entered in to the greatest family uh, and become the greatest nation the world will ever know. I'm not speaking of the United States of America. I'm talking about the people of God, the family of God. The Bible gives us a vivid illustration in Ephesians chapter 2 how that God broke down the wall of partition, the wall that separated the Jews from the Greeks, and he made them one. You see, we have become one in Christ, and the church is to model that. This is the righteousness of God. What we see taking place in our world is the result of sin. What should be happening in the house of God is that we should be demonstrating for a lost world what God intends for humanity to become. Now, we're not perfect. We are far from it, right? Let me just say this this morning. All of us are sinners. All of us. None of us have it together. None of us are righteous. No, not one. For all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But though we have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the thing that brings us together is that we have acknowledged that Jesus is the righteous son of God, and we have trusted him and received him, and we are now a part of his family. This is the righteousness of God. We see a second thing here. We see the wrath of God. That's not a subject that many preachers want to preach on today. It certainly does not give us a warm, fuzzy feeling to consider the truth of the wrath of God. But we understand this Bible is the Word of God, and it is true. I can go to the doctor and have a physical exam, and I don't want to hear him tell me, you need to lose some weight, buddy. I already know that. And though I know it, I still don't want to hear it. But if he's a good doctor, he's going to tell me what I need to hear, is he not? And God is telling us in his word what's happened not only to our nation but all the nations that have forsaken the Lord. Notice if you would please in verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they, notice this please, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So the question comes, is God angry? The answer is yes. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The, The Bible said in Psalm 7 and verse 11, God judgeth the righteous... And God is angry with the wicked every day. Have you ever been angry with someone you loved? In fact, we can become more angry with those we love, it seems. But God, who is perfect and righteous, loves the world. But he's also angry with their response to him. Now, we note two things here. Number one, I want you to see that they had the truth. They had it. The Bible teaches us that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. In other words, they had the truth. Look in verse 18 again. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth. What did they hold in their possession? The truth. But how did they hold it? in unrighteousness. You see, they had the truth. Now, we note that all men have witness of the truth. They have a two-fold witness. No matter where you are from, no matter who you are, all men have two witnesses that testify to them clearly and convincingly that there is a God. First of all, we see... Uh, the witness of conscience. Look at verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Here we have the witness of the conscience. Within the heart of all of humanity is a knowledge that there is a God. God has placed a conscience in every person to govern them, to guide them, to speak to them when they're doing something they should not do. There is an inward knowledge, and there is a, a truth within us that testifies that there's a difference between what is right and what is wrong. That's called the conscience. God put it there. The second thing we see is not only the witness within, but the witness without. That is the witness of creation. Look in verse number 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Have you ever walked up to a beautiful building or into a beautiful home and noticed the craftsmanship and the beauty of that home and ever commented to yourself, man, it's amazing this thing just evolved? You said, well, that would be ridiculous. Yes, it would be. I agree. You see, creation itself testifies to us that there is a creator. There is someone who designed the intricate intricacies of the human body and that governs this uh, universe and this solar system, that governs um, our world in which we live, the earth. It is intricately, wonderfully designed therefore the apostle paul says there are two witnesses that every man has the witness of conscience and the witness of creation and he says these are clearly seen so they're convincing and he says in the close of verse 20 so that they are without excuse they're convincing witnesses and they're condemning witnesses if you turn from the truth that you have Leith Samuel, who was uh, an early uh, 20th century Christian, wrote these words. He says, many missionaries point out that the heathen know more than we think. They know that there is a God. There are no atheists among heathen tribes. There has never been discovered upon earth a tribe of people, however small or depraved, which has not believed in some kind of God or had some system of worship. The heathen found in so-called primitive tribes know that they have sinned. When a Christian comes to them and talks about sin, he often finds ready acknowledgment that this is true. The heathen, speaking of those who don't know God, but they do know there is a God. He says, the heathen seem to know that their sins must be punished. They seem afraid of punishment and afraid of death. They know that sin must be atoned for, and they seek ways of appeasing their angry deities or deity. You see, all men have this witness. They have the truth. Let me just say this to you concerning our nation. Do you know that there, there is no nation that has ever had such a Christian beginning as the United States of America. No nation has ever been formed that had such a Christian beginning. Yet despite having such light and truth, our nation has turned away from that truth and is encompassed today in darkness. James Madison, who was the architect of the federal constitution and the fourth president of the United States, said this, We've staked the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each and every one of us to govern ourselves, to sustain ourselves, according to the Ten Commandments of God. Madison said, our United States Constitution is based upon biblical principles. Daniel Webster, in 1820, wrote these words, Let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Let us not forget the uh, our fathers, rather, brought hither their high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light, labored in its hope. They sought to incorporate and infuse its influence through all their institutions, civil, political, and literary. John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, wrote these words, From the day of the declaration, the signers were bound by the laws of God, which they all, and by the laws of the gospel, which they nearly all acknowledged as the rules of conduct. Concerning the Bible, Abraham Lincoln said, It is the best gift God has given to men. All the good the Savior gave to the world, was communicated in this book. If not for it, we would not know right from wrong. All things most desirable for man's welfare, both here and hereafter, are to be found portrayed in it. I read these quotes simply to tell you that America was founded on biblical and Christian principles. America was not perfect has never been perfect, and certainly is not today. But it was founded, at least by those who were in leadership, by people who knew the truth of God and understood its significance to the nation. And so Paul says they had the truth, but what did they do with the truth? That's the question. And that is the reason that the wrath of God abides on them because he says in verse 18, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, they have the truth, but they reject the truth. They go on in their unrighteous behavior. They discount the authority of God's word. It's diminishing influence then allows the nation to decline. Notice in verse 21 because that when they knew God, not only did they have the truth, but they had the knowledge of God. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. They made a conscience a conscious decision that when they knew who God was, that they would not give to him any glory. In other words, they would not acknowledge him for who he is, and they would not worship him. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You see, when you turn from the light of God's truth you are turning away from that light and you are moving forward into darkness. The Bible says they they became vain in verse 21 in their imaginations. Their thoughts then became empty and futile. Their foolish heart was darkened. You see, when you walk away from the light, you receive more darkness and the further you descend into that darkness, the less and less the light is able to reach you. Uh, Recently, one of our representatives on the floor of the United States Congress made this statement. It was made by Representative Jerry Nadler, who is a congressman in the state of New York. He was responding to a congressman, Congressman Stubbe, who had in his speech referenced what the Bible has to say about moral issues. Jerry Nadler said, Mr. Steube, what any religious tradition ascribes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. When I heard that, I was taken back. I was disturbed. I could not believe that someone would rise to the floor of the United States Congress and basically say, We don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. It is of no consequence in the floor of the House of Representatives. I want you to know that when you turn from the truth of God and God's Word, this is where you arrive. And what we are witnessing in our nation is a moral crisis. What we are witnessing in our nation is the result of the wrath of God on America. That leads me to a third thought this morning. That is the ruin of a nation. The ruin of a nation. Notice in verse 24. The Bible said, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, as those who deny the truth descend farther downward into the darkness, following their vain imaginations and the foolish thoughts of their wicked hearts, we see what that results in. It results in the fact that, number one, they change the glory of the incorruptible God to corruptible man. They are seeking to bring God down to their level. We live in a society today that judges God and judges the Word of God according to the standards of men. And if men do not think that God is acting in a way that he ought to be acting, then they simply dispel what he has to say. Then they change the truth of God into a lie. And they said, wait a minute, the Bible's not true. That doesn't apply to us today. And then they worshiped the creature more than the creator some worship the solar system some worship nature some worship animals some worship man-made inventions some worship money some worship comfort some worship other men but most people just worship themselves they have become a god to themselves And we see the decline of a nation. Look again in verse 24. uh, God, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. He gave them up to uncleanness. This speaks of immorality, wickedness on every hand. Our nation has become a lewd and filthy nation. Then he gave them up, secondly, to vile affections. Notice in verse 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meek. Vile affections are dishonorable, shameful, and disgraceful lusts and passions. So God gave them up to uncleanness. God gave them up to vile affections. Finally, we see in verse 28 that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Look at it, if you would, please. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. I think that's a very important statement. I hope you'll notice it again They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They had a knowledge of him when they knew God, but they did not like to retain him in their knowledge. Why is it? Because retaining him in their knowledge gave them an understanding and a sense of accountability that they would have to live according to his law. And if they were to live according to his law, that they would face judgment. And because they love their sin, the Bible says, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Because they love their sin, they desire to continue in their sin and in their iniquity and in the foolishness of their darkened heart. And so therefore, they remove God from the arena. And what has happened in the United States of America, God has been removed from the public arena. so God said, okay. He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I want you to understand that God made man in his image. Man is a triune being. He has a body, he has a soul, and he has a spirit. The body, that's the thing we see. The soul, that is who we are. The spirit is what gives life to the the soul. God made man perfectly in his image. He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit of God, the breath of life. You see, I want you to get the picture. God in creation has formed the body of Adam. There he lays, perfectly crafted by the hand of God. Full head of hair, wish I had one. Healthy, trim physique, I won't even comment. A handsome fella, but a lifeless body. Not until the moment that God breathed into his nostrils did he have life. And when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he became a living soul. He awoke. He became alive. Now, when Adam sinned against God, God said to Adam, when you do that, you shall surely die. And Adam sinned against God. And that day he died immediately in his spirit the spirit is like the light inside the room. And when the flame is quenched and the spirit is removed, the light in the soul goes out. And that day, that moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, the light went out because the spirit life went out. And Adam knew when he heard God walking toward him in the cool of the day, he knew that he was a sinner, and he hid himself from God. You see, when you remove the light of God's Spirit from the soul of man, what is the soul? The soul is who we are. It's the seat of our intellect, our emotions, and our will. When you remove the Spirit of God, the light, then the mind, the intellect, the will, the emotions are given to darkness. Darkness and we lose the ability to discern and think. Let me ask you a question. How many times in the last year, year and a half, have you thought to yourself, how is it that people can even think this way? I'll tell you how. Because they have descended into the darkness, and God has turned them over to a reprobate mind. It means they have lost the ability to make sound judgments and decisions. Now, notice what the Bible says about them in verse 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness. That word speaks of justice. You know, much has been said in our nation about justice and injustice, and we live in an unjust society but i want you to know the answer to that can only be found in the gospel of jesus christ the life of the spirit imparted to the dark souls of men to give us a love and respect for one another being filled with all unrighteousness we see that in our nation fornication that refers to sexual sin wickedness that's evil actions covetousness that's greed to have more and more that permeates our society. Maliciousness, that means evil, excuse me, evil in disposition, full of envy, jealousy, that's what that means. Murder, the murder rate in America is at alarming, alarming levels. Debate, that is contention, wrangling. Have you ever seen our nation engaged in more debate than it seems to be engaged in today? I'm not talking about healthy debate. I'm talking about just an atmosphere of argumentation over everything. Social media has paved the way uh, for this in our nation. Deceit, that speaks of fraud. Malignity, it actually means this, being ill-natured taking everything with an evil connotation and giving a malicious interpretation to the actions of others, a nature which is evil and makes one suspect evil in others. In other words, it creates an atmosphere where everybody thinks evil of one another. Have you read Twitter or Facebook lately? It's full of malignity. Whisperers, secret slanderers, backbiters, those open slanderers, haters of God. The ancient Greeks used to use this term, haters of God, and they used it to describe someone who had turned against God because of some calamity that had befallen them. They would then accuse God and his providence. In other words, if things didn't turn out in their life the way they thought they should happen, they would become God haters, accusers of God. That's so prevalent in our society. Despiteful, that means to act with arrogance. It means to treat someone as a, as a persecutor of others and take pleasure in the affliction that their persecution brings on other people. In other words, you you find people that you don't like and you want to be mean to them, and when you stir up a group of people against them, you actually get enjoyment from it. That's happening in our country every day. That's why I I want to warn our young people. I'm, I'm not telling you you can't or shouldn't or can't have a social media account, but I'm telling you, you better be very, very careful because there is a wicked watching world looking for every opportunity they can find to ruin the lives of young people. Despiteful, proud, arrogant, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable. What does that mean? It means they are absolutely irreconcilable people who are, in their minds, in a state of war, and they refuse to lay aside the enmity or listen to terms of reconciliation. They are in a constant state of war. And I want to tell you they've gained more and more and more influence in our nation. And that's why it seems so hopelessly divided. And then the last word we read here in verse 31, unmerciful. That means there is no compassion. There's no pity. Do kids do things they shouldn't do? Do they say things they shouldn't say? Absolutely. Do adults? Absolutely. But there's no mercy in this generation. You see, when you turn away from the true and the living God and you're walking in darkness, there is no mercy. No mercy. Notice verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. In other words, the thought of judgment no longer scares them. They have made the decision they're going to walk in their sins. The ruin of Of a nation. What Paul has described for us in these verses is a vivid, accurate depiction of what has happened to the United States of America and other nations in the world that have forsaken the truth of God. We see the righteousness of God here. We see the wrath of God here. We see the ruin of a nation. But let me give you the the final thought, and I make it my concluding thought. We see the remedy for a nation aren't you glad there's a remedy aren't you glad there's a healing balm there's an answer there's a solution to this dreadful situation that we find ourselves in paul gave us the answer in the very opening verse that we read verse 16 look at it with me once more for i'm not ashamed of the what gospel of christ for it is the power of God. I want to tell you that God's power is greater than the devil's. God's power is greater than sin's power. God's power is greater than any political party or any movement afoot today. God's power is great power. Unlimited power. Overcoming power. Life changing power. And it's the remedy for our nation. Let me tell you where it's found. It's found in the preaching of the gospel. I want to say to you that if you want to make a difference in this nation, then it's time to take and become an activist. Are you ready to be an activist? Oh, it's a trick question. You know it. Let me tell you the kind of activism you need to get engaged in. Biblical gospel activism. Taking the power of God, the gospel to lost souls in Hickory, North Carolina and around the world. Let's be a gospel preaching people. Let's be a gospel proclaiming people. Any of you can share with a coworker, a neighbor, or a friend what Jesus has done for you. Any of you can take a gospel tract and put it in someone's hand and say, I would like for you to read that when you have time. Anyone can take the essential booklet and leave it on somebody's door or give it to some friends at work or some friends uh, that you know socially outside of the church, and you can say to them, I hope you'll read this. I I think it'll help you. All of us can become activists and take the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. That is the only message that will unite a country that is so divided. That's the only message that will save a country that is so steeped in sin. That's the only message that will bring light to a country that has slipped into such darkness. You see, God has always been interested in the salvation of souls across the world. That's why he said to Abraham, get out of the country and go to a land that I'm going to show you. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless him that blesses thee, I'll curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm concerned about the world. I'm concerned about those people in the world who don't know me, and I want them to know me, so Abraham, I'm going to call you, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through your nation, other nations will know who I am. You see, God's not just interested in Abraham and his children. He's interested in all the children of the world. In Galatians chapter 3, the Bible says this, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. All of us who know the Lord Jesus have become the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, that's all people who don't know him, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. So when they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You see, if God has blessed America, and he has, it is because we have sought to honor him. And because America has sent Bible preaching missionaries across the world to reach souls. If there is a hope today for our nation, it is in the preaching of the gospel. It is in the people of God. Paul said this. He spoke of the church, he said, which is the house of God. First Timothy 3, verse 15 which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If the world is going to know the truth today, they're not going to find it in the media. They're not going to find it in academia. They're going to find the truth of God in the church. And the church is the people of God. And we are messengers of the truth to a lost and dying world you see the remedy is found in the preaching of the gospel the remedy is found in the people of God and then let me just say this lastly as we our song reminded us the remedy is found in the prayers and penitent cries of God's people I think we've got a little excuse excuse the uh, the phrase fat and sassy when it comes to our spiritual life and seeking God we've been distracted we, we've been dissuaded by other things, and we have forgotten to fall on our knees and cry out to God for our nation. Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, yes, this is speaking of the, of the nation of Israel, but it also is a principle because who are the people of God? Not just Abraham's seed, but all who are of faith. If my people, which are called by my name, are you called by the name of Jesus? If you know him as Savior, yes, you are. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The most wicked king in the history of the nation of of Judah was a man named Manasseh. But when Manasseh humbled himself and repented and turned to God, do you know what God did? He forgave him. It's not too late, friends. It's not too late for our nation. But let judgment begin at the house of God. May we learn to seek the Lord. May we learn to repent of our sin. Habakkuk said in Habakkuk 3 and verse number 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, excuse me, in the midst of the years, make known, notice this, please, in wrath. In wrath, remember mercy. Can I say to you this morning, it's not too late for the mercy of God. You've been a very patient group of people. I appreciate that. And I'm praying that God has spoken to you. America is in the condition it is in because it has turned its back on God. A God who is righteous. A God who has made the payment for the sins of all humanity. Let me ask you a question this morning. As you sit here, it's no no mistake that you're here. God brought you here today. He brought you here to hear this message because he loves you and he wants to save you. And Maybe this morning, God is speaking to your heart through his word, and you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never received the Lord as your Savior, and if you died today, you have no assurance that heaven is your home. I want to say to you this morning that on this wonderful day that we celebrate the birth of our nation, it can be a greater celebration for you to celebrate the birth of your soul. There are people who will be here near the front with a Bible in hand, ready to pray with you and show you from the word of God how that you can receive Christ as Savior. If you have never done that, I want to encourage you in just a moment to do so. Then I want to say to all of you, are you concerned about our nation? Don't you kind of seem at times like there's really a helpless feeling, like what can we do? Well, I want to tell you, that's a lie of the devil because what we can do is the only thing that will make a difference. We can take the soul-saving message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. We can be the church that models the Christian life. We can be the church that falls on our knees and intercedes for a lost and dying nation. And may God help us to do it. I want you to think about your children. I want you to think about your grandchildren this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, is it time to get active? I believe it's past time, don't you? Aren't you glad that in wrath, God remembers mercy? Let's seek him for his mercy. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.